to come and gather together for worship, uh, something which in the times that we live in is a courageous act, and some have even called it a, a revolutionary act. And I am glad that God has put enough faith and courage in your hearts to find it necessary to gather together in worship. Uh, we have a few minutes to share from the Word of God. I'm going to speak to you on a topic. I will read some verses from the book of Malachi chapter 2. But uh, before I read, I want to uh, share with you an experience I shared uh, with my friends on uh, one of the social media apps, Twitter, this week. A question was asked, why do we eat at funerals? Why is it that when there is a funeral, food is cooked and people eat? Uh, I don't know if any one of you have ever thought about it. Is it something that we just found people practicing? Is it right that when people are crying, we go and guide them by eating scones from Monday to Sabbath afternoon and on Sunday they must slaughter a cow and we must eat? Uh, is there a deeper meaning behind the eating that we do at uh, at funerals, we have all this eating and sometimes it turns into a feast. Many answers came and when it came time for me to share my answer, my answer was that, and this is an answer that I reflected quite a lot upon, you know, having done some reading on the subject of death and grieving and the psychology of dealing with death and loss in our lives. I shared my honest thought, the reason we eat at funerals is as a testimony to the belief, the faith in our hearts, that life will go on. And there is no other testimony, there is no other expression of willingness to live than eating. Amen? People who are not trying to live, to live will fast themselves, they will shrink themselves, they will stab themselves. But when you love life, you must also love food, isn't it? <laughs> When you say, I want to be alive tomorrow and the day after, what do you do? You eat. So that, that is what I share. And this is the theme around which I developed this short sermon for today. I want to speak to you about uh, the topic from glory to glory. God, Bethlehem, is taking us from glory to glory. God, even in 2021, today in May, my birthday month and this young man's birthday month. God is revealing a church from glory, from previous glory, from the church as we know it, to a church that we have never seen. God is revealing our lives. Our lives are never going to be the same again. But he, is, he has promised us greater and much better and more fulfilling lives, satisfying lives. Uh, the truth that we have to admit, having grappled and grappled with this pandemic for so many months, is that our lives will never be the same. We have lost jobs, we have lost churches, we have lost friends, we have lost parents, some of us, we have lost children, we have lost loved ones, and life cannot be the same. It is easier to think of Replacing material possessions, replacing earthly acquisitions and statuses, restoring ourselves to where we were in the socio-economic strata. 
but if there is something that in this life we cannot replace, it is the life of a loved one or a friend. God has never been about replacing our grandmothers with children. Sometimes we make the mistake of saying, ah, God, God is not in the business of replacing. When people die, they are born from us. Our only hope is in the resurrection when we shall meet them. They leave a void in our lives which cannot be filled. They leave an emptiness in our hearts which cannot be replaced. But I am here to say, hold on to uh, those requirements for living under the COVID pandemic. Keep wearing those masks because God in what he is about to do only requires one thing from us. Not our money, not our houses. All he needs to do for us to be there in that future that is preparing is for us to be alive. Hallelujah. Amen. We must eat. You know, like a patient who doesn't want to take food. We must eat. We must live. We must prepare. We must put on masks because something greater is coming. And I'm going to read to you about it from the second chapter of the book of Haggai. Uh, Haggai chapter 2, I'll read from verse 3 uh, downwards. It says from it's verse 3, Who is left, I'm reading in the New American Standard Bible, NASB. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And all you people of the land, take courage, declares the Lord. And wait, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, as for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Verse 6, for thou says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the word of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, the larger glory of this house will be greater than the former. I will read again. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. May the Lord bless the name of his word. Amen. Amen. And now this man that we are reading about was a contemporary of Nehemiah. Together they were waiting in the rebuilding of the temple that was destroyed. Uh, the nation of Judah was taken to Babylon. You know the story. How after 70 years, the Lord made a decree uh, through the Persian king Darius that the children of Israel, and through the leadership of Nehemiah and through the leadership of Haggai and Zerubbabel and others, should go back to Judah and build the temple. When you read this uh, passage from the, the parallel book uh, about the same period in Nehemiah, it says, at, uh, at the wall of the ruin, the temple that had been destroyed, there were men there who were older than 70, 
temple, uh, the temple of Nehemiah on the day of his dedication. They look at this new one. Instead of celebrating with a young one who had no memory of the things that their fathers had lost, they were the people who had the experience of what they had lost before they went to Babylon. They wept and the word of God said they mourned. And this is what Haggai is trying to address here. This anxiety, the terror of having experienced something that you estimate as better and greater, but is in the past and has all been lost. Haggai, through his word that came to him from God, says, The glory of the, of the future temple, this temple that I will raise, will far exceed. And the glory of the former temple. These words are echoed again in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, where he says, I will restore all the things that the years that the Lord has eaten, I will destroy, I will, I will restore everything that uh, the evil one, the enemy has destroyed, it shall be returned to you. Uh, what does this mean? When you look at the temple of Solomon's time, uh, people who study architecture and go into the historical archives of buildings in the times of kings like Solomon, they say in all the earth of the time there was no building like it. It was beautiful, it was also well decorated with ornaments, with precious metals. Uh, it was the most beautiful thing that they had ever seen. And when they try to compare it with buildings of the present, present moment, they compare it with the uh, the cathedral, there is a cathedral in France, in Paris, the cathedral of Notre Dame, it burned uh, down a few years ago and people don't even mind to rebuild it. These are buildings which are compared to the, to the Temple of Solomon, that is how beautiful it was. Uh, there is an element in Christianity, an element of worship which is called liturgy. Liturgy is when we sin, we express how we feel towards God. But liturgy is also in how we experience our physical environment. And the physical environment of worship includes such things as the church building, the, the, the seat that we sit on, the tables, how a table must have a tablecloth, not like in our houses, but only in the house of God. Why? Because these things that we touch and we feel and we see in the temple of God, they must have they must give us an emotional and a psychological connection to an experience of the nearness, the closeness, and the presence of God. That is why a church cannot be built like a community hall, for instance. When you look at cathedrals uh, all over the world, how they are built, even just by being inside, when you sit there quietly, you can almost hear the voice of angels singing. You know when you are inside a cathedral that you are not inside the town hall. They are built differently. And this is what God is bringing people's minds to us. To say, I'm, I'm doing something greater than anything you have ever seen. If you thought the glory of the, uh, the Temple of Solomon was mighty and great, wait until you see what I am starting. If you thought that in the time of Solomon, you saw the best and the very best of what God can do, just wait. And all this requires that you wait. I am there to stand to sit to, before I sit down to, to tell you that God is doing something and it has started. God is restoring. God is building. And we know that what he's doing is great. It's far greater than anything because the
the builder of the promise is not man, but it's God himself. After so much devastation, after so much destruction, and after so much loss, all the things that have happened to us, God is giving us this promise that the glory of the future temple, the builder of which is God, is greater, far greater than what you have done. Brace yourself. You think you have seen beauty, you have not seen anything. You think you have seen a church, you have not seen a church. You think you have lived in a house, you have not lived in a house. Your, house, your current house is a shed compared to the house that God is promising you. God is going to do a great thing in our lives. Even right now, as the rebuilding process starts. And all that He requires is that you wait. Wait upon the Lord. Wait and see what God is about to do. Let us stand up and pray. Faithful God, mighty God, the God of covenant, the covenant that you made with Abraham that he shall be a father of a nation as many as the sands of the sea and as many as the stars of the heavens. It still stands. For here, here we are, all over the world, men, women, brown, white, black, sons and daughters of Abraham. The promise that you made through your son Jesus Christ that you shall not leave us alone, but you will give us the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. It's true and it is real. For the things that have destroyed others have not destroyed us. The death and the loss and the tragedy and the devastation that has made men and women to lose their minds all over the world has not made us to move or be shaken and itch. Here we are still standing on the rock, standing on the covenant. Because we are comforted by the very present and near comfort of the Holy Spirit who is God. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And it is because of your faithfulness in our lives in the past that we can hold on and believe in your faithfulness to this promise that you are renewing today, that the glory of the very soon and immediate future is going to far surpass and exceed the glory of anything we have ever seen in our lives. And this is the promise that we came and we hold on to. In your name we pray, dear God. Amen. Amen. Amen.